the incomparable. Number 557, March 2021. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We're talking about WandaVision, the TV series that just uh, recently wrapped up on Disney+, Plus, the first Marvel Studios official, official, official TV series set in the MCU. The other ones are sort of like, sort of, but not. But this one is like official, official, done by the same people, starring the same people who were in the movies, except for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but there's a footnote there, and you don't win a no prize if you correct me. Uh, it's a new world now, and it's all on Disney+. Plus. So, we're going to talk about WandaVision, all the episodes, the whole story, the whole thing. And I am being joined by these four wonderful people to talk about it. Chip Sutterth is here. Hi, Chip. Hark. Yes. <laughs> uh, Dan Morin is here. Hi, Dan. Flourish, Jason. <laughs> Flourish. Uh, Kelly Gamont is here. Hello. Hi. Uh, I don't know if uh, you guys know this, but uh, from over here, I smell crime. Mm. Well, you know what they say about crime, Kelly? She who smelt it. (laughs) (laughs) Melt crime. Uh, And Nathan Alderman is here. Hi. Hi. You mentioned four wonderful people. Who's the fourth? When are they showing up? Me. It's me. (laughs) It was Jason Snell all along. Oh, Oh, it was me all along. That's right. Uh, by the way, before we get started, if you enjoyed WandaVision and you would like to relive WandaVision episode by episode and enjoy podcasts with interesting people talking about them episode by episode, boy, have we got a bonanza for you. Dan and his pals, John and Guy, did an episode by episode uh, conversation about it over on the Biff podcast at The Incomparable. And Kelly was joined by Don and Lisa to do an episode by episode take on it on the TV podcast. So if you really loved WandaVision and you haven't heard those podcasts, go check them out and you'll get a lot. You'll just have more WandaVision than you can, than you can stand. You enjoy content. Yeah. Cause we got it for you here on the incomparable network anyway, but we're going to talk, talk about a big picture, big picture time, folks, big picture time on here. On the small screen. And <laughs> I think I want to start, I, I don't know. I mean, there's so much with this. This is a very interesting show. But I, I said it's the first kind of official, official, completely committed from the same machine that generates Marvel movies. And we ended up with, I don't know, it's 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 sort of, what, six hours of material, five hours of material. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, Kevin Feige, the guy who runs Marvel Studios, has said he sort of, they sort of have come up with a certain amount of content that they feel is appropriate for a a Disney plus season. And we'll see that repeated with Falcon and winter soldier, which is coming and the Loki series, which is coming. And it it may be split up in different ways. These were a bunch of short episodes for, for WandaVision, but I kind of want to ask all of you first off how you feel the MCU, like the official, official MCU approach translated (laughs) to a TV series because this is their first go at it. And, uh, you know, it on, on some levels, there are scenes at least, not everything in the show, but there are scenes in the show that feel very much like a Marvel movie. And then other things don't. But how do you think as a first crack at doing a TV series uh, that's essentially a Marvel movie as a TV series, how do you think they did? I think it's interesting. I mean, let me put it this way. It wasn't intended to be the first show. And that, I think, says a lot about right. it. Falcon, Falcon and Winter, Winter Soldier. Soldier was going to be first. COVID-19 stopped their production, and they had they had to delay it, and it will end up being second. 
I think that the way they probably looked at it was saying like, look, with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we're going to give them something that's probably a lot closer to an MCU experience just because it's more, I don't, you know, for lack of a better word, conservative. It's probably a structured and, you know, more of a genre that much plays much closer to a lot of the MCU movies. That said, the MCU has a lot of versatility inside of it. I mean, you can do stuff like Black Panther. You can do stuff like Ant-Man, right? Like right. they're very different tones. And so I think they, you know, instead they ended up having to go with something that's a little more envelope pushing, a little weirder. And I think that's great because it really sets a nice uh, pattern or a bar or like just sort of says like, hey, this is, we're, we're willing to kind of go a little more off script to do stuff that's a little weirder that we haven't been able to necessarily pull off in a movie. And that's great because after 10 years and 20 films, you know, even as good as everything is, you want to be able to stretch yourself a little bit creatively. So I think that they did a nice job of putting in something that felt both at times like that same MCU experience cut from the same cloth, as well as being able to do stuff that was a little more bizarre, a little more envelope pushing. And I will say on top of that, that I think, you know, and we've talked about this on other shows as well, notably The Mandalorian, there's arguably less and less of a difference between TV and movies, both in terms of production uh, and in terms of things as simple as like casting, right? I mean, we're dealing with the same people who are in the movies at this point showing up for a nine episode television series. So, and being treated essentially not like a second also ran, but as a full-fledged member of this cinematic universe. So, uh, to to me, I mean, it is a different format, but it's basically cut from the same cloth and in many ways is is more or less indistinguishable. So I, I applaud the sort of the, the, the taking risks, doing stuff that's a little different while also trying to give people exactly what they want and expect. I gave um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Daredevil an honest try. And... They both felt to me at the time like, okay, this this kind of feels like Marvel. But more than that, I felt like I was watching a television show. And a television show in the sense of being cheaper than the films and not being just not being as polished or not being taken as quite as seriously. And I just sort of fell away from it. Um, WandaVision for me feels like the MCU through and through. And at the same time, weirder in a way that a lot of the Marvel movies aren't allowed to be. I remember when Guardians of the Galaxy felt like such a revelation. And compared to WandaVision, it it feels like it, it feels like standard MCU right now. I mean, we had those characters in the Avengers movies and things like that. But although that could be that could be to a to a, at least a little bit. It was so successful that it kind of infused the MCU, but I get your point. Sure. I mean, but there's avant-garde stuff happening in WandaVision, and I really loved it. Uh, it. It took me a while to get into it, and then I was thoroughly into it, so much so that as the series sort of gets toward that happy medium of the MCU in the last couple of episodes, I was like, oh, but I but I miss all the weird stuff. But it's most <laughs> It's most definitely. It most definitely feels more like the MCU. It feels like it's got the 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 Kevin Feige you know stamp of approval for sure. Um, and yeah, I, at this at this point, I can't really see a separation between the stuff that's been released for film and the stuff that was released here on Disney Plus, except maybe for a few scenes here and there where the budgets are appear apparently smaller. 
Yeah, it definitely it definitely looked like they put movie money on the screen. Mm-hmm. And everyone talks about how the the MCU oh it's it's a factory it's a road it's unimaginative, and I don't think I've never thought that's fair. I, I really enjoy the wide variety of genres and the overall inventiveness of the MCU, and I think this is no different. I mean, think about it. This is the biggest, most successful franchise in movies right now. And they're like, we're going to take it to TV, and we're going to do a tribute to classic sitcoms that is flavored with Steven Spielberg and David Lynch. <laughs> Can you imagine the, the sheer chutzpah of that? <laughs> and it works. They got nothing to lose, right? They're playing with the house's money. It does feel like that at some points, right? It was like, we're, we could do this. Why not? We, what are you going to do to yeah. us? We're Marvel. <laughs> and they pull it off. And also, they're doing something, I think, really clever with their television shows, which is in the movies, they've got plot, plot, plot. You know, very rarely do you have, um, you know, a movie that, that gets to be character focused. I think Doctor Strange is, is one of those that really gets to, to hone in on character. And even then, you don't really get enough of some of the side characters that you would want to see. So it feels like in the movies, they're taking the things that, or in the TV show, they're taking the things into the movies you saw and you were like, I want more of that. And they're giving it to you. When you go to Civil War and you see the hilarious bickering siblings dynamic between the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you think, I want more of that. Well, now you've got it. You see the the tragic romance between Vision and the Scarlet Witch just hinted at here and there in the corners of other larger things. Right. And you're like, I would love to see more of that. And here, here it is. you do... And it's beautiful. Yeah, because they, they're doing shorthand in the movies. There's like five scenes with Vision and Wanda, and right. like there's the shorthand is there, 30, and it's thirty thousand characters. If you know the if you know the com- yeah. the comics, you're like, I see what you're doing there, but it's all shorthand. Like in between movies, lots of things happen, but we just do the shorthand in the movie, and here we get to see it. I, I actually had forgotten that Vision and Scarlet Witch didn't have that much to do in the movies because I'd fill in the gaps with the uh, comics knowledge that I already had. Um, giving it the chance to breathe in this series was uh was kind of eye-opening kelly how did you think they did in terms of doing tv from the mcu from uh from marvel studios overall i thought they did a pretty good job um and one of the things that i liked about it was um it's not like disney's never made television before but they've never but disney officially marvel officially hasn't really done television like you know just for the streaming like this is yeah this is literally the people who make the movies for the first time are like we're gonna do the tv shows too we're not gonna let the marvel tv group over here in another part of the corporate entity do it like we Mm -hmm. we are doing it with our actors and our writers and we're gonna make this thing ourselves which they could have they could have face planted right yeah Mm -hmm. but they also the other thing about it is that for as much as it was them saying we want to do TV, they were doing it for Disney Plus and not for ABC, not right. for a network. So they didn't they weren't obligated to 22 episodes. They decided how much story they had to tell, split it up and decided 9 episodes was it, the end. Um that was a thing that I felt like really served the story well. Um particularly given that like one of the things that uh, I think everybody kind of thought about um uh I remember the the last season of Daredevil in particular like you didn't need 12 episodes for that story, you know? And, (laughs) and so, you know, not having to have 12 because you have 12, like, I feel like that really suited them. Like it was really up to them how they wanted to approach, you know, something very TV like. So they leaned into what I thought were all the good parts, uh, drop episodes weekly instead of the whole season at once so that everybody got a chance to sit for a week and, uh, spin up theories and figure out, 
you know, what crazy thing they wanted to do. Um, we've built a new wing on Kelly's House of Crackpot Theories just on this season of WandaVision. Um, getting to do all of that stuff um, was great. And if you're going to lean into television, like the standard TV entertainment unit is once a week. And so they went with that. And, you know, I feel like they really leaned into all of the parts of TV that uh, that made the most sense. Um, not 22 episodes, not uh, we do three and then a, a, an inexplicable rerun this week, you know, or any of that stuff. Like, oh, man. they kind of ditched all the all of those parts. I kind of us... want the rerun episode of WandaVision now. What would that be like? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Kevin Feige is on the record as saying that they've decided that, I, I think I looked it up here, uh, six hours is about optimal for a, a TV series. But WandaVision is over nine episodes, and they dropped the first two the same week. And it, it sounds like they were originally supposed planning to, be the third, to drop three, the first yeah. three, which makes a lot of sense because they're mm-hmm. the three where by the end of the third episode you're like oh i see what's going on here but they couldn't uh get the production enough to get the last you know to get the whole rest of the episodes dropping weekly so they only did the first two because they were running behind but like it's an interesting model where they're kind of making i don't know it's like the runtime of you know two two and a half marvel movies but using the episodic structure you know kelly you're right i saw a uh I'm just going to say it here. I'm not going to link to it or anything like a bad take from somebody on Twitter. I know. Hard to believe. Bad take on Twitter who said, this is the problem with dropping things weekly instead of as a binge is that people get to speculate and they come up with theories and then the theories are wrong and it's terrible. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like I said, bad take. Uh, I love that. I love that's the best yes. part of the experience. I mean, uh, I, I, Dan and I are here to tell you. Yeah. It's so, it's so great. And then WandaVision, I know it wasn't meant to be first, but in some ways it is an exemplary choice to go first yes, yes, because it's about t- episodic television and the first six episodes of this show all feel different. And that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's not one movie chopped up. Yeah, the biggest risk there is that people will set the bar the the bar too high from this because it it is such an interesting like mm-hmm. take and so different that once we end up with stuff that maybe is a little more standard. People will be like, "Well, but it's no Wandavision." I don't know. I mean, I think they're right. they're they've shown that they've got a wide variety of stuff because I think you know, well, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier might be a little more staid. Loki looks bananas, so you know, yeah. maybe they are playing around with yeah. a lot of this. The one thing I want to add, based on what Kelly was saying, was it, it's clear that they learned a ton from the Mandalorian. Right? It's hard to yes. like it's hard to understand the the emphasis that that or you know the the uh, effect that that had because of the fact that it's like we're gonna do. A short season. We're going to do episodes that vary in length. We're going to drop them weekly, right? Like all of that mm-hmm. stuff proved to be a huge hit with The Mandalorian. And mm-hmm. I think they took away from that everything that's like, okay, we, we kind of got a pattern for how this works. And I agree as well. Like being able to six hours of content is pretty good. That's like a good mini series or in, if you're in Britain, it's a season of TV. Yeah. Um, and I think that really works for this format because it means that you're telling a story that doesn't feel like you need to fill episodes ever. You're just yeah. telling the story that you want to tell. And the other thing, like, obviously we know it succeeded, right? Because uh, last Friday morning, Disney plus crashed. And <laughs> because the true measure of success, all of Western civilization was trying to watch the season finale at the same time. But also, um, I'm really glad that there was a snafu that made it so that this was first. Because A, starting starting off your TV run with a show about TV is awesome. But also because uh, this is 
this is weird. You know, we talked about it. Like, mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is weird. And it's, it, is it absolutely Marvel? Yes. But is it also Marvel in a whole new way and in a completely different direction? And like, you know, who's the villain in this one? Huh? And like, that's not a thing Marvel generally does. And so like all of these new and weird and interesting things are all part of this show. And like that to me, I feel like that's almost better for them because like yeah we're gonna get some more regular stuff with the falcon and the winter snowman which is what we decided to call it over uh-huh. overdrive and uh like we're gonna get something that looks a little more marvely maybe a little more television-y and this absolutely didn't do that and it gives me pretty strong like thor ragnarok vibes by being absolutely a marvel movie but absolutely something else and that's what i really loved about watching this was all of those pieces of it that they came together and i'm really glad that this is what ended up kicking off the the mtu i agree i mean it's bringing me closer and closer to the feeling that i am watching comic books come to life mm-hmm. uh, comic books are a serial medium uh and it was always a problem for me with the batman movies back in the day uh, and it's still a bit of a problem for me you know we only got three iron man movies Iron Man is a character that's been continuously published for, for how long? You would get 12, 12 Iron Man stories in a in a year in comic book form. Uh, but the movies, they're all done in one for the most part. You do get the broader tra- tapestry of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, but it's it's still a big story about a character rather than an ongoing narrative. And we got that here with WandaVision. You know, the just the the regular shorter doses really appealed to me. And I also agree with everybody about how glad I am that this was the first one out of the gate. You know, this gives me hope that we're going to get that, I don't know, next wave t- uh, TV series <laughs> uh, from Marvel Studios. You know, the, the, <laughs> they've got more freedom to play in this format because they're not tied to box office numbers They've just got to feed the invisible uh, algorithm that drives Disney Plus anyway. To keep people from canceling uh, Dis- Disney Plus, right? Disney yeah. Plus. Keep feeding yeah. the machine. Yeah. So in theory, they've got room to play. They don't have to stand pat on f- and let format become formula. Mm-hmm. Moon Knight is going to be so weird, you guys. It is going to be so <laughs> I, weird. I believe it. And I'm 100% yep. here for it. I remember when that would be a joke and now it's real. It's very strange. <laughs> yeah, You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> the thing that I think is it, the only like disappointment I have about them being in the opposite order uh, is only partly a, a timing issue, but that's because of the last year. Um, we don't get the continuation of this story, which is supposed to be the next Doctor Strange movie until next year. Until a year from now, right? It's the, the Yeah, so they, just, they were supposed to be closer together, if I'm not mistaken. No, I think you're right. I think you're right, because I, I, that's the strong implication here. Now, that the, the, I mean, the, the show ends with Wanda very much realizing that she's a powerful uh, magic person. And of course, <laughs> who else do we know who's magic it's Doctor Strange, so of course uh, that's going to connect to Doctor Strange's movie, but that's going to happen in 2022 now. Um, let's talk about the the episodic nature of it a little bit more, because one of the things... So WandaVision, by the way, <laughs> big debate in my house. Uh, when did people realize that WandaVision is not just a play on television, but also it's literally the name of the two characters? Like, immediately. Yeah. When the series yeah. was when announced? Yeah. Us. Me yeah. too. Well, uh, there's some memes on the internet, and I, I, I've had this argument. I, I guess what I'm saying <laughs> is that, is that you know, 
it's like oh it's it's their names and it's television anyway it's very clever but the, the, the one that took me longer jason was the fact of realizing that Westview with a capital v is one is wv oh yeah that took me that took me at least two or three episodes <laughs> Okay, time to take a brief break for me to tell you about our sponsor this week, this episode of The Incomparable, brought to you by a podcast called Inside the Breakthrough. This is a new history of science podcast full of all sorts of did-you-know stuff, like did you know that Henry Ford and Thomas Edison were actually buddies and they worked together on an electric car that still failed? I, I, I didn't know they were buddies, but it makes sense because those guys are both kind of jerks, actually. So, yeah, that fits. Anyway, Inside the <laughs> inside the Breakthrough explores the idea of the Eureka moment, historical wisdom mixed with modern thought. You could think of it as a history podcast that's also a science podcast, but also sometimes a comedy podcast a little bit. The host is Dan Riskin. He is no stranger to comedy. He appeared on Craig Ferguson's Late Late Show, for example. Um, so if you are interested in these things, it's right up my alley, I'll tell you that. Science, discovery, comedy, history, all put together, interesting stories, things you might not know, things you might not have thought about, and put the pieces together. Uh, this podcast will weave this kind of story of discovery. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So if you want to learn about, like, could you prevent polio by cleaning the streets or who brought the first elephant to England or the episode that I listened to, what is in snake oil? Is it actually snakes? <laughs> it's fun, entertaining, surprising. And then, of course, Dan Riskin is digging deeper and connecting those stories to modern day stuff. So search for Inside the Breakthrough. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, we'll include a link in the show notes here, too. Thank you to Inside the Breakthrough for supporting The Incomparable. Check it out. So one of the ways that this show is structured that's kind of brilliant is it's walking through television history. Now, uh, episode one is a black and white... Dick Van Dyke. It's the, Dick it Van literally Dick is the Dick Van Dyke show. Literally the Dick Van Dyke show. And episode two is be, Bewitched. 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 Three is yeah. the Brady Bunch. Yeah. It's yep. not a one-to-one -one match, although the set design is... I believe the Brady Bunch... It's like it's literally a, a mirror image of the same set of the Brady. The staircase in it is definitely yeah. the oh, staircase. Oh yeah, for sure, Brady for sure. Yeah. So we're yeah. and 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 then we get what we get uh, family ties, family ties, family and then ties. Modern, family modern family, modern family. Malcolm in the middle. Office. Ma yeah, and Malcolm. Dehonishing recreation too. of the aesthetics of Malcolm in the it's, middle. Yeah, the, and, yeah, and again, it's not a one to one because I would argue that there's bits of in the in the. Uh, in the Brady Bunch episode, it's also a little bit Partridge Family yep. and a little, I mean, yep. it's yeah. all yeah. kind of mishmash. But the idea there is we're going 60s, 50s, 60s, uh, 70s, 80s, 90s. It's not It's not quite kind of 90s, 2000s, but it, it, sort it's of in 2010s the ballpark. a little bit. Yeah. And the, the point yeah. is that, that the premise here, and at, at first we don't even know what we're watching, although I would argue... We know what happened to Vision in yeah. Infinity War, and mm -hmm. uh, he died. And so it, it, I think you can probably intuit pretty quickly that something is deeply wrong with the fact that Vision is here and alive in this. But we don't know the details. But Wanda and Vision are living in not just a sitcom, but literally classic sitcom formats 
across time. And then as the series progresses, it turns out that they can tap into these from outside the hex in this town in New Jersey, which is a beautiful little touch because it means that people on the outside can watch the show, which is amazing, right? Like Although literally only, people only are watching. via like old TVs, which uh-huh. I also loved. Uh, so, so I mean that that's the thing that's going to stick with me more than anything about this is that is that the show is not just a an MCU show, but it is a show that is trying to use television history as a way of expressing the story it's trying to tell just so just so clever yes and and what i loved is that they use television history to mirror the progression of a relationship and not just wanda and vision's relationship but but relationships in general they started in the first episode and everything they are so in love they are honeymooning everything is easily solved no problem is there is too great that they can't overcome it with just a little bit of ingenuity. He phases through the ottoman that Dick Van Dyke trips over. That was a exactly great loved it. Touch. <laughs> then things start to get a little more complicated. Then then she gets pregnant, and all of a sudden the world changes from black and white into color mm. to to signify things are getting more complicated. You know, then you know the babies arrive, and suddenly you know you're in the the 80s and the world of more nuanced family dynamics there's conflict you know disagreement then you get to the 90s and like they they've stretched and prodded the characters so that she's a little bit more of like a a, an angry shrewish mom and he's a little bit more of the hapless goofy adrift dad but they do it in a way that totally fits with their character arc within the story they're telling and then you get to the the 2000s and all the comedy is about how everyone is miserable (laughs) <laughs> and I just thought that was a really clever way to not only mirror just the general course of some relationships, how, you know, you start out, and I, I should clarify, I adore my wife, I, I'm the luckiest man alive, <laughs> but, you know, every relationship, it starts out in a honeymoon phase, and then you go through some bumps, and then at the end of those bumps, hopefully you come out stronger, but I really liked how they applied that kind of universal feeling and Wanda and Vision specific story through the kind of stories they they parodied. So it's a form and function sort of situation happening where it's like, yeah, I agree. The the format of the show and the tone of it match, you know, kind of what we're seeing on the screen. It's a it's a clever usage of that, um, you know, sort of breaking the. It's a, it literally breaks the fourth wall at points, but it also is sort of always a little bit testing the limits of that fourth wall at the end of episode three you get that moment where we break kind of outside and we realized we realized that there is something really weird going on here one of the characters in in the show geraldine has uh it makes reference to ultron (laughs) Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. killing her brother, like your typical sitcom, Jason. Right. Well, I you mean, know. first off, Pietro shows up, and he's and and it's uh, <laughs> you know, or that's I guess that's episode four. That's Pietro later. shows up, yep. and he's recast yeah. because that that happens in sitcoms too. But here she mentions that Pietro was killed by Ultron, and it's like, whoa, wait a second, I saw that movie. Uh, what's happening here? And she's sort of like cast out, and there's the beekeeper who's really weird, and they're like, get this out of here, and there's like weird colored 
stuff like a colored drone basically helicopter kind of thing in the black and white world and so you're like what is going on and again you know it's an it's a marvel thing like something weird is happening here but at the end of episode three we get the reveal that there is something really weird happening in this town because outside this town there's kind of like a force field and outside of it, there are a whole bunch of agents and stuff who have been monitoring what's going on. And that's the moment where we get the kind of break where we realize that a whole town has been taken over by Wanda, essentially. And uh, and everybody on the outside is trying to figure out what's going on. And so from that point on, we continue to get the sitcom premise stuff but it's mixed in with the characters on the outside watching and commenting on it and and the show opens up a little bit more into uh sort of like seeing how this construct it plays it straight for the first three in a way and then and then after that it sort of opens up which is a nice kind of way to progress the storyline well it doesn't stop doing the sitcom parodies for a while sitcom homages Mm -hmm. for a while but it, it shifts gears into something where we're going back and forth. The aspect ratios change between the settings, yep. which I think is actually a subtle thing, right? Yep. We go from movies to mm-hmm. TV. Uh, it's literally yeah. Marvel saying that's mm-hmm. a TV show. This is a movie. But Marvel, they're both on a TV show. What are you doing? But they're both movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it not only opens it up uh, after uh, Geraldine is thrown out of the hex and we're introduced to Monica Rambeau, but it sort of grounds it too. Um, they did such an amazingly good job of aping uh, the Dick Van Dyke show and Bewitched that I kind of cringed my way through the first uh, couple of episodes because I hate that era of television. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I love Lucy just uh, is like uh, lemon juice on a paper cut for me. Wow. Um, so they did it. They did it so well that I was I was kind of unhappy, but when they when they when they bring in when they bring in the MCU, that sort of helps me. And then and I'm probably able, obviously, uh, having seen it once before, when I see it the second time around, I'm prepared for it. I'll know whatever. But bringing in that grounding makes it easier for me to roll with the weird because I know that the conventional stuff is right out there and I can move between the two. I feel like there was a lot of, um, you know, discussion and a lot of um, different takes on terms of like how people got into the show, right? I know people who thought the first couple episodes were weird and slow and not what they were expecting. And I get that. I mean, like like Chip was just saying, it's, it's trying to accomplish something very specific and that's tough to deal with because it's not necessarily what's expected. Um, I think for me, I loved it because I love those shows that are slow burns and have kind of that puzzle angle where it's like you spend that first hour going like, the hell is going on but like at the same (laughs) time you want to know right you're like oh my god i gotta dig into this like i have all these theories you know we my wife and i would finish each episode okay i think this is happening i think this is happening you know and i i think that's you know there's a lot of shows that have done that over the years whether you want to like lost or you know any of the various like sort of uh event series they've tried to do along those lines and i think I think that does appeal to Mia and I think a lot of people as well because you kind of got to suspend your, not quite your disbelief, but you got to suspend your like rationale for that first couple episodes where you're just going like, just take what it is. And you know this is a Marvel show too, so you right. know it's more gonna, than the show does. Like you, you yeah. can't go in Already. blank yeah. about what this is. You know that there's a, 
there's something weird there are going superheroes on here. here somewhere too right, right. so like, there's a puzzle know. to be solved like why is it a sitcom that doesn't because first off you know about the mcu you know these characters were in the mcu and you also know that this that this show is not just well we decided to do a black and white sitcom <laughs> like it's going right. to be more than that the show doesn't tell you that for a little while but um, it's a challenge to you to like look at it and be like, what is going on here? And I do, I do understand that if they had dropped the first three the same day, it probably would have allowed the conversation to sort of like you would have gotten to the reveal a little bit. But I don't know. I kind of liked it. I get Chip, what Chip is saying. I totally do. Um, I don't think that honestly, the first two episodes don't function well enough as comedies. They're they're kind of funny. But they're more uncanny than they are funny. And yeah. so it really is only in episode three where things start to get weird. And you're like, wait a second. And I know that they, they uh, the producers um, talked about how the Twilight Zone was a little bit of an influence here. It's like mm-hmm. there is this uncanny feeling like something is wrong. What is wrong mm-hmm. here? It feels like, you know, it's a good life. It feels like Anthony is going to send you to the cornfield if you're not happy with what's <laughs> going on in Westview. But it takes a Especially while. The, the laugh track, that scene in the first episode, right, with the choking at dinner. Yes. Like, yes. that scene is straight out of Twilight Zone, right? Because it's, it's played sort of straight and, like, it's extremely disturbing. Well, and that, the, yeah. all the yes. all the stuff in episode so two with the uh, with the the talent show and all of that stuff, it feels very, like, weird and disturbing. For the children. I will hear nothing against Paul Bettany's drunk performance. Oh my god, yes. fantastic! Oh, oh no. no, I mean, drunk it, Paul it's Bettany the cre- was creepy town where everybody's smiling, but then then vision. Also, the the idea that it's like, oh, I swallowed some gum and now I act yeah. like a drunk android is yeah. just <laughs> like what a sitcom premise that is. I thought that that was uh, that was fantastic. I love it. I love how you know you're right. It does feel uncanny, but what kind of gets you over that hump is how great together uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany are. Yeah. You know. In the movies, they basically just throw special effects around and, and look really serious a lot. And here you get to see them be in love and be funny and oh. bounce off each other. It's just, it, it it's even more heartbreaking because you know, wait a minute, this guy's dead. This can't last. They do have that nice one, the one really nice scene where they're in Scotland in front of that shop that says, we'll fry your kebab uh, in Infinity War. That oh. is a is a very nice <laughs> scene. But um, but yeah, it's again a shorthand. They have one scene where you're like, oh, they're in love. It's nice. There's, there's no time. To and then and then they're attacked yeah. by yeah. Ultron's or uh, by uh, Thanos's people. And yeah. then we're off. And the and the plot the plot kicks kicks into gear, and we don't get to do it. Um, in terms of um, episode four, we meet Monica Rambo, and and this is a way that the series. Let's us in on the fact that the that Thanos and, and Infinity War is what this is about. Is we we start with Monica Rambeau and it, it's such a great scene. She reappears from out of the little dust specks of Thanos in a hospital room in a chair, and she doesn't understand what's going on, and there's panic in the hallways. And we realize what's happening here is this is the moment where they bring back everybody that Thanos made disappear. This yeah. is the blip. Played for laughs in Spider-Man, but not yeah. here. Not Understandably, here. <laughs> because that was yeah. a, they're trying to keep it light in Spider-Man. But here, right, even in the Spider-Man movie, we were like, boy, but the ramifications of this are really brutal. So here we get them right away, which is Monica comes back, and she sees the doctor who was treating her mom. And she says, where's my mom? And the doctor says, she died like three years ago. You've been gone for five years, but your mom died of cancer. And this is, of course, Monica is the little girl in Captain Marvel and her mom is Captain Marvel's friend in that movie. 
And so there's a connection there. But like, what what a moment, because this is a show that is about grief. And we all know that Vision died and that somehow this is about about um, Wanda processing her grief. Like, we all have to know on some level that that's really what the show is about. And so in episode four, uh, we interrupt this program, by the way, which is literally, okay, <laughs> let's, let's, let's back up. <laughs> uh, it's about grief because a lot of terrible things happened and you know what happened to Vision. And now look at what happened to Monica and her mom. And we'll go from here. And I, I, I love how it shifts gear like that because it is the show saying now there is also an MCU movie going on outside of the sitcom and we meet uh, we meet Jimmy Woo and we meet Darcy Lewis, two really nice sort of like supernumerary characters from Ant-Man and Thor movies who are given a little bit more to do and it's and, and they're delightful and we get this kind of overarching um, outside plot about the people on the outside of the bubble looking in trying to figure out what the heck is going on with Wanda and Vision and this weird sitcom town that has appeared in New Jersey. And I, I think they chose those three characters really well because this is a show about identity. I mean, the the big triumph for both Wanda and the Vision in the final uh, episode is knowing who they are, realizing who they are. And Monica, Jimmy, and Darcy are all three characters who know exactly who they are, are completely comfortable in their own skin, and will not let anyone gaslight them, dupe them, shame them. You know, I, I love Jimmy's brand, especially of complete, you know, ego-free amiability. He knows who he is. He knows exactly what he can do and what he's good at. He's happy to let people think whatever they want to think of him because he knows his own worth. He's the Ted Lasso of the MCU. Yes, yes. He is. Yeah, that's a great ah. comparison. Also, he knows close-up magic. Let's he, be clear. He does. Also, I, I like that, um, that that they make it clear that Monica, like Wanda, is not really processing her grief. She's trying to just knuck, white knuckle her way through it. Right. There's yeah. that scene never... early on where she's where, where she's told by the head of sword, like you know, people aren't coming back right away. Yeah, nobody she's else like, is Just back. give me a jump. <laughs> Yeah, right. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm here to not there. process my grief. Okay, just give me something to do. Yeah, and like, and the way that that sort of keeps coming back, like, uh, you know, she ta- like she sort of uses it as her in with Wanda. You know, I know what you're feeling. I know the position that you're in. You know, I know that state of mind. I'm having it right now, right. the same as you. And those moments, may like those moments between the two of them really underscored all of that and and made it very easy to to see that you know that's whoever that's what everybody's fighting it's not it, it's not Mephisto or you know whoever it is that we think we're spinning up um, it's emotion and episode four yeah. also makes it clear and I think this is a really important moment and it's a it's a maybe not as praised a revelation as maybe it should be which is episode four is the moment where you realize Oh, this just happened. Like they yes. just like three weeks ago, yeah. Got yeah. back a few weeks ago. So whatever's happening in the bubble from Wanda, like Monica, Wanda is fresh to mm-hmm. her grief. Like this This is not happening over decades. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, or even five years, minted. right? They they didn't come yeah. this isn't like five years later after the you know, it's literally they were they were gone for those five years. They've just come back. So they're both processing their grief. And it's fresh. And that, for me, that was a huge moment of like, oh, okay, this is new right, to Wanda. This is, this is, she has had no time. Because we don't know going in, like, is this three years after uh, right. Avengers Endgame? And it's like, no, it's two weeks. 
Right, and for all of us, you know, who watched in our world, it's been like a couple of years right. since that movie yeah. came out, right? So that's you got to sort of figure out, like, wait a second, where is this based on when we last saw? And that all moment of these when people? you realize, oh, it's so fresh, and you and, and right you're like, now. oh, I see why Wanda feels this way. I right, and it, it is, it's mm-hmm. nice having the parallel um, griefs of Wanda and Monica. I think. Yeah. I also like how this show doesn't. It doesn't blame Wanda easily, and it doesn't let her off the hook. Um, in the comics, the the House of M storyline got a lot of flack, probably deservedly, for the whole big reveal being, oh, well, just Wanda's crazy. That's it. She's right. just crazy. And here, they don't, they don't do that. And yet, aside from that really, I think, unfortunately shorthanded conversation between her and Monica in the final episode where Monica's mm-hmm. like, well, you enslaved an entire town, but then you didn't. So I guess you're cool. Um, <laughs> which is, I think they, apparently they had to rush things because of the pandemic and they had to kind of cut corners and wrap things up mm. in the final episode. But so I understand that, but I just like how they make it clear that Wanda is a victim, but she's also a danger. She's, Mm-hmm. She had the best of intentions and she's grieving and she never meant to hurt anybody, but she's also 100% culpable and everyone in town is scared of her and they damn well should be. One of the things that sort of makes Wanda stand out is that every time she's given a decision where everybody sort of goes like, you can sit this out and it's fine and no one's going to blame you. Like, we all know you've seen some stuff. If you don't want to be part of this year, there's no obligation and no one's going to judge you for it. And she always goes and tries to charge in and make things better. Like she's always making that decision that she wants to go and help instead of sitting out whatever the current, you know, intergalactic battle is that everybody's trying to solve. And she does the same thing in this case. And part of why that works in her favor is because she like part of the reason that she feels so determined to fix things in Westview is because she broke them. Yeah. Yeah. And she, and when she leaves, she, she flees too far away and probably Sokovia somewhere at a mountain. Like in the end, like she, she is out of there because she did commit kind uh, of a terrible. I'm Mount Wondegore. Okay. But she, <laughs> all right. You know, it's all fictional places in the Marvel universe, but she's. <laughs> no, um, these are very important things, okay. Jason. All right, Chip. Fine. It's fine. I don't know. Right? I thought Vancouver. It looked- it looked like Narnia. I mean, I don't know. So the the idea there is that does she get off the is she let off the hook? It's like I don't I don't think it's so. I think it's like not really. It's really on the. I mean, sh- there's only so much you can go into. I I had wondered at the end of the episode whether she would essentially turn herself into Monica. Is kind of what I expected when she came yeah. back. But I also understand why she doesn't do that. Because as I think you alluded to earlier, it's it's about her figuring out who she is and what her powers are. And she realizes that, like 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 Agnes slash Agatha, she can't really be put in a box. <laughs> like, she can't be right. locked up. It's not going to work. It's going to cause problems. <laughs> so yes. I think she knows exactly what she's done. There's a question of how guilty she feels about it. Certainly some. Um and I think Monica is still, you know, because Monica's processing her own grief and because she is empathetic to what Wanda's gone, gone through, it's not that she isn't telling her that she did wrong, but she is kind of tempering it by saying, like, I, I do understand why, if I were on the magnitude of power that you are, right. why the, why this could happen. Also, I, I know that there's been some criticism where people have said, like, 
the line where she says, you know, they're never going to know what you've given up. And it's like, oh, but look at what they did. She enslaved them and took over their minds for two weeks or whatever, which is like, yes, Didn't that let w- them touch their children. Yeah, that, that was that was bad. That was bad. But I think the point of that is she Mon- or, or, uh, Wanda had essentially ultimate power. And she used her ultimate power, yes, to do terrible things to that town. She also brought her husband back, or her boyfriend, or back, and uh, and created children. And when she realized, when she sort of snapped out of it and realized what she had done and how awful it was, to undo it meant to undo Vision and her children. And she did the right thing. And I think that's where it's coming from from, from Monica is, you know— they're not going to appreciate that you what what you gave up here, but I know that you had to make a hard decision to do the right thing. It wasn't easy. You couldn't just stop. You had to you had to say goodbye to Vision and your children in order to do the right thing, and I appreciate that you did that. Plus, they are fellow travelers on this road of processing the grief of the death of their loved ones. Right. And, and and it's right. and to a lot to everybody else in town, those are like, oh those are made up people, right? Like, oh, but we're real. They're made up. But to Wanda, yeah. they're right. also real. Yeah. And it's a good it's a good spin on the classic comic because because in the comics she kind of makes using her power, she kind of makes children and then another writer came in and, and uh made them disappear and had her go crazy and all of those things. And uh and I, I like that also in this the um the the creators uh jack schaefer is the is the showrunner here um she makes some decisions about like kind of undoing the the damage that the comics did and sort of having a different spin on it um Mm -hmm. and i like that 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 i read an interview with jack schaefer who said that she was thinking originally that the episodes would be the literally the stages of grief and you know in the writer's room it changed and it got a little more complicated than that but like I really see that, that at the end, Wanda has learned something about herself. She is processing, but has not processed her stages of grief, but she has taken a step forward and now has to figure out who she is. And and having left her her, uh, sons and the vision behind, what does she do next? And you throw in uh, Catherine Hahn. Who is amazing as Agatha? National treasure, Catherine. Who, yes, oh, who, who we see in the flashback has been a witch since the uh, since the Salem witch trials and has been kicking around kind of with no friends and is super envious of Wanda because she's like basically like, oh, you're the Scarlet Witch. That's her name from the comics. You're you like are a prophesied powerful magic user please give me your power because i know way more about witches than you do and so i'm just going to take your power from her and that's the oh you like witches name three (laughs) yeah exactly so that's the dynamic there but but what what catherine han does do first off catherine han doesn't doesn't get uh, agatha doesn't get killed she gets sort of punished by having to live a sitcom life in the real world which is kind of creepy awful cruel punishment and they they keep her around well she did some bad stuff though so anyway it's it's for a while she's gonna do that for a little while she's gonna be perky for a while um but it opens the door to to wanda realizing that there is there is more from this because remember wanda was always like well she's kind of powerful but what is it just like telekinetics and and like in the comics she's magic is is she magic now and the answer is yes she's really magic now and the dichotomy in that last scene that's so beautiful is she's like wearing the hoodie and drinking some tea 
and then meanwhile her astral self is like studying the grimoire and right and the, and, and the strong <laughs> implication is being of course that she was magic all along yes but that right. the exposure to the mind stone exactly. is what sort of supercharged that, her. that's what Amplified agatha it. says is that she actually had this power beforehand and it was magnified and that was yeah. the the origin of that i also wanted to mention the great casting there's some other great casting in this uh deborah joe rupp is in this is one of the people in the yeah. in the town and i love that because i always have thought of deborah joe rupp as a i don't know 20 year older version of Catherine Hahn. i always think they're like the same person in a different part of the timeline and to see them in the same show together <laughs> i was like yes yes more of that please so yes that, please that was uh, really good Nama caulfield from buffy the vampire slayer is also mm-hmm. one of the townspeople and apparently spawned many many conspiracy theories about <laughs> who she represented the answer is no one she's just somebody who lives in new jersey I almost wonder if all the conspiracy theories were a bunch of dudes being like, wait, this is just about women like processing their feelings and stuff. No way. Michael Fassbender is totally going to show up at some point. Mephisto is behind it all. Um, and and no, no, no. Again, yeah, there are a lot of uh, the showrunner is a woman. Uh, main character is a woman, and we've got Monica. We've got Agatha. Like there, there is so much going on where it is. It is about that, and it, and it is also uh, it is about grief. That's one of the things that I think is beautiful about this. Is I'm a sucker. F- ever since I was a kid watching Star Trek, I am such a believer in the idea that you use ridiculous fantasy science fiction mm-hmm. trappings to talk about real stuff. And yeah. this show, that's what this show is about, right? This show is about Wanda processing. The thing we saw in the movie, which is Vision dying twice, once at her hand, once yeah. at Thanos's hand. And how do you process that? And then Monica processing it. And Monica's mom is a character we knew and liked from Captain Marvel. And now she's died. And it's really sad. And like, I just I love that all of that is wrapped in this weird magic mind bending fantasy kind of setting. It's kind of beautiful because in the end. The one thing that with all their power that they can't do is bring their loved ones back, you know, sort of, but not really. And that's, you know, that that speaks to something. And I I love how Monica's big moment of triumph, which really felt earned and, and really powerful, is also tied to her identity. You know, as she's pushing through the hex, as she's becoming her own sort of Captain Marvel, you know, she's being torn in different directions literally you're seeing like the versions of her her past self and and you know sitcom versions of her and she's struggling to like integrate all those different views of who she is into one person and she's hearing like voices from her past reminding her of who she is on the inside at her core and just when she pushes through that wall that just i was just like yes fist in the air that that was a terrific hero moment for and her, her eyes get all glowy and you're like oh she is going to be yeah. photon i guess i mean she was captain marvel spectrum, spectrum. or spectrum, spectrum sure yeah. she was captain marvel after the first captain marvel and before the anyway it's comics she's so, had a lot of names and, but monica <laughs> rambo many names. has yeah. has powers and um when she was introduced as a, a little kid in captain marvel it was clear like oh this is the character we're going to see again and it's going to happen indeed it is but she gets the little glowing eyes and she gets the little like land with with crouched with a fist on the, the ground superhero land. Says, I am a yes. superhero yeah it's uh she's got her star trekky uniform yeah it's a thing yeah. of beauty which is the colors of the comic book uniform yeah no it's 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 a thing of beauty it really is the thing one of the things i really liked about this is um like there's one moment and um uh, it, this is 
I know it's going to be a weird one, but uh, there's a moment in the the last sitcom where we get the confet where um, Agatha's getting interviewed when she's still Agnes. And she said, you know, it's a good thing I showed up when I did because Wanda was one split end away from cutting her own bangs. And that is the most woman based joke because it's a whole thing and like like I've had to explain this to more than one person that I know like no 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 there's this moment and like something happens and it's really bad and maybe you have a terrible breakup or maybe you get divorced if you know if it was that far along in the relationship or something really really terrible happens and you decide that the thing that you need to do is either get bangs or you're going to cut your own yourself and it is terrifying for everyone around you it is a cry for help this is a universal female cry for help this is what happens this is how everyone knows that whatever it was that just happened and no matter how many times you say you're fine honey you are not okay (laughs) and like there is a whole like it it's a whole thing and it is never a thing that like any guy is probably ever gonna understand and so like I saw that and I'm like that's not what she said and I had to rewind and watch it twice to really get like no 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 that's that's really what she said and like it was there for me to get and it was so surprising and wonderful and it was just another sort of underscore that like this is not like the other marvel shows like this is one that i'm gonna enjoy that i'm gonna really appreciate and like to put something like that in that like i'm going to understand on a on a totally different level than a lot of people that are watching it like was just amazing to me and like that's one of the things that I really love it's just one of those moments like when I got to the gift shop at the end of Star Tours and they had Star Wars shirts for that were women's cut like there's that moment of like oh my god you realized I'm here and that I'm paying attention and that I'm just as valid of a fan of this thing as all the other people that wear the square shirts and that moment of it was like unbelievable it was so so great and having having things like that throughout the series you know the way they like the way that that Wanda and Agnes interact as friends you know like in the sitcom world and stuff like all of those things were really nice touches and they didn't like they didn't detract from any of the other stuff that was happening it wasn't like hold on for a minute we have to do some girl stuff and then we can go back to like the zooming and the fighting and the 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 purple laser beams and the red laser beams and the whole thing like we didn't have to like it was just part of what you were watching and it was amazing speaking of purple laser beams and red laser beams i really liked how the (laughs) finale played out Uh, i mean yes there were a lot of people throwing special effects at each other but in the end wanda and vision win not through brute strength not by having the most power but by being smart wanda wins by listening and learning and the vision wins by applying logic and most importantly empathy and i really loved how both of those things played out okay i want to talk about the vision um, and I want to say also, I think Paul Bettany does an amazing job here. Paul Bettany gets a lot of credit for dramatic roles. I think he's hilarious. Um, he's he is wonderful. Hilarious. So the scene in which we, we gave a lot of props to the scene in the uh, Modern Family Esque episode where he's sitting in the chair outside the funnel truck. And there's like a bit where he like <laughs> scratches his ear and you're like, what is go- like, what? What is? <laughs> yes. Isn't that make? What? What is happening? And it's just the and then his sudden realization where he's like, wait. 
what am I doing here? Why am I talking to you? Yeah. Uh, you know, there there is a lot of brilliant uh, comedic work from Paul Bettany in this entire series, which is something he doesn't get to do at all. Exactly. Really in the and movies. He, and he's, he's very good at it. And of course, the character is so locked down that it's even funnier that... He gets to do these things, you know. Vision. I, I mean, I never, in a I sweater, never stopped right? laughing at oh Vision in 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 normal clothes, right? Like I, even right? when in in Ultron and the Civil War, when he shows up and he's wearing like a collared shirt and a sweater yeah. and pants, and you're like, but oh, he's yeah. a freaking android. And, and he has, a, he has yeah. his like pretend human look, but the real comedy look is where he's where he looks like an android, but he's wearing regular clothes because it's like what. Yeah. Always they even incorporated his famous love of turtlenecks oh, from the comics. Oh my god, it's so good. Yes. One of the underplayed, I think, plot twists in this show is uh, we are led to believe that Vision has been kind of like uh, left in pieces and that Wanda has taken the pieces and away. Yeah. And then what it turns out is that's not true. And the mean guy who runs S.W.O.R.D. actually has had Vision reassembled. And there is a Vision who's like all white with a weird like computery thing where the Mind Stone used to be. And in the finale, he and Wanda's created version of the Vision square off. And of course, there's this, I think, instant classic scene where Vision's like, have you heard of the ship of Theseus? And he's like, uh, <laughs> naturally. And he kind of proceeds yep. to kind of Captain Kirk him a little bit. But also it's, it's that moment of, <laughs> of realization where he's sort of like think about who I am and who you are and you can access these memories and you're being used and all of that. And like, it is a huge moment in terms of kind of like the Marvel thing. It was like, oh, it turns out they put the vision back together and he works, but it's not quite right. That's really interesting. I kind of was hoping for a scene where one vision sort of phased inside the other and they became unified vision and that didn't happen. But that ship of Theseus conversation is really interesting. And at the end, though, the white vision kind of like, flies away and like see him later somewhere else yeah you know i i think a lot there was a lot of speculation about essentially the vision soul merging back with the body and i was really glad they did not do that because ultimately it's a show about loss exactly and if he just became vision again there would it would all be undone sure i i I still think that that's an option i still think that's an option though they've left it open for for something like that but it's not Um, an easy solve in the show right Right, and he's not going to be quite the same, at least for a while. There's a sure. journey that has to happen. But like, it, it felt like too cheap of an answer to me to be like, well, he's died twice, and now he's back. Like At that point, you are firmly in the comic book territory, and it's not to say you can't resurrect characters. I don't want to say that, but the whole... I think it would ring hollow for me if we spent nine episodes talking about Wanda's grief and it was magically solved, because in the real world, right. none of us get it's that problem not. solved. Exactly. Sure enough, but there's a reason that they included that line that we've said goodbye before or yes, who's to say sure. that we won't say hello right. again. That, that's, right. Well, yes. that's the beauty of it. You don't want to do it here, and that's why I like that the white vision sort of flies away and the problem is kind of left unresolved, except it really is sort of resolved. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, the, in the last Star Trek movie, it's the same thing happens with Data, where it's like, oh, we're unlocking your memories. It's a little bit like that, where the, but, it, but it's not the same, right? It, it, there's the vision we've spent this show with who is not the vision. He is, and, and this, again, it's about grief. When somebody dies what you're left with is your memories of them. And you've got like a little virtual version of them in your mind and in your memories. It's not them, but it is what remains of them. Or, you know, from Westworld, um, another show about um, (laughs) weird robots where you don't generally have any idea what's happening. I was well prepared for WandaVision is what I'm Uh saying. Um, the, the, The... 
the moment that they get there when um when when one of the the robots is talking about um having had like having these feelings and having lost someone and having it feel so terrible and like how do i ever how do i ever get out of this again and the offer is made to remove all those memories so like you don't ever have to remember that person and then you won't be so sad that they're gone and she says no the pain is all i have left of them Right. And in this, we have and that, that's that beautiful exactly. moment that, that grief is, I forget exactly what the line is. But what is grief but love persevering? Love persevering, right? Like that, that, is, yeah. that is part line of Line of the show. And so, and yeah. so the moment, the moment where, where sort of memory vision who represents Wanda's feelings and memories and thoughts about who vision is meets with a white mm-hmm. vision who's sort of like vision reconstituted, but not quite all there because part of his head blew off and all of that is a beautiful moment because vision as he was can never be again. But because this is a science fictional universe, we, what we get is the moment of like, well, you, it's almost like the memory of vision is blessing vision to go out and figure out who he is now. And I love it because I do love that thought of, you know, um, my dad died like six years ago and I still have conversations with him in my mind. Right. Uh, that's, that still happens and he's gone. And, and it's like, that is who that vision is in the end, in the last episode, who is the, the full color vision is Wanda's idealized memory of vision. And because this is this heightened universe that the grief, Wanda's grief gets to be personified and send whatever is left of Vision off to find out who he is. And I think it's beautiful. And and yet also doesn't make the easy thing, uh, as Dan said, the easy thing of, oh, you don't need to be sad anymore. Vision's back. Like, that doesn't happen. Right. But at the same time, like, I still have a tiny nitpick about that. And it's because, uh, remember how he was sort of Hayward's precious, right? Like... Um, he wasn't going to let Wanda walk out of there with $3 billion worth of vibranium and everything else. And like, is so proud of his, of his own creation where he like recreated vision and everything. And then vision flies off and like, it's cool. I mean, he's, he's (laughs) sentient is the problem. That's the problem with running sentient weapons. They're sentient. And Wanda's vision basically opens up all the things that were blocked, which is like the, the Hayward, the sword guy has, Mm. uh, has like suppressed his memories to use him as a weapon. And yeah. a vision basically says, no, I'm going to let you be vision. Go be vision. Whatever ver- version of vision you are, go be that. Um, yeah. I do want to mention though, I- I'm glad you mentioned Hayward, who I always just refer to as sword guy. Susan Stamberg's son. It's it- fine. If I have <laughs> a criticism of WandaVision, and I do, you're about to hear it. That was a setup for the thing that I have. <laughs> it's that there are, outside the hex, because the show is about Wanda and about what happens inside Westview. Um, it feels a little bit like the plot that's happening on the outside is, is is dropped the moment it's inconvenient. Because, like, in the finale, S.W.O.R.D., like, finally breaks through and they come into the, the, in the center of town and they are dismissed in the most easy fashion. It's like, oh, yeah, you're not a problem anymore. Also, Jimmy Woo and... Uh, and uh, Cat Dennings, uh, Darcy, they Darcy uh, Lewis can't lose. They kind of don't. They kind of don't have anything to do. And in fact, Darcy in the last episode basically like has a line of dialogue while she's in the ice cream truck or whatever, and that's it. And, and I know that there might be some technical issues with the pandemic and reshoots and things like that. But the, if I have a criticism of Wandavision, it's that 
while they try to build up this MCU thing on the outside that's like a plot, it turns out it's really not a plot. It's really just a, an excuse to get us on the outside to see what's mm-hmm. going on on the outside. And in the end, all of those machinations, everything that's going on out there doesn't matter. It essentially doesn't matter. Monica kind of yeah. matters. Even Monica doesn't matter that much. It really is about Wanda and Vision. I don't have a problem with that, but I have a problem with the fact that Sword and Hayward and everybody on the outside is sort of poised to be the the real kind of big bad plot-wise. And at the end of the show, the last couple of episodes, the show's like, nah, not really. And that, it gets to the end and realizes, wait a second, it's we're not about just this, remaking. Guys. We're remaking the Winter Soldier. Our yeah. bad. Yeah, <laughs> I was disappointed that we didn't that we didn't get more of her. Like, um, I did feel it was very in character uh, the way they told us that she wasn't around, which was Darcy says debriefs her for the week, and I could see that. But at the same time, I would rather have her tell me that. My concern, you know, and again, there are theories out there, and I haven't seen this confirmed that they had they had not shot everything. And so you ended up with uh, that the last episode is kind of missing some pieces. I don't know if that's true. It, it sure feels that way. There was another scene with her that was cut. It feels they did say that. like okay. Monica and Hayward and Jimmy and Darcy ought to really have a moment, right? Like where they reunite yes. as a team and they take Hayward, take him away, boys, right? And, and, and like- yeah. And they and have it's that the three-way high five. Exactly, because the they're frame. outside of the WandaVision thing. They're the ones on the outside who are trying to figure this out. And we never get that. And and so that's my criticism. I understand that perhaps perhaps it's possible that they wanted to do that and they couldn't, but in the end result is just what it is, which is um all that outside stuff is sort of like swept away as like, ah, it doesn't matter anymore. Wanda's gone, vision's gone, goodbye, the end. <laughs> and it doesn't work. <laughs> They each right. get their own scene where it's like, you know, so Jimmy gets to break out of the handcuffs and call in the FBI and Darcy gets to, you know, hit <laughs> Hayward and Monica gets to stop the kids from getting killed. But yeah, they never they never mesh up with one another. There's right. sort of a brief scene with Monica and Jimmy at the end. Um, but yeah, they don't they don't really get their team. No. Up so in the end, would the show have been better served if there had been less of the stuff outside of the hex, if this was where it was going to end up? I think that'd be hard because we do need the grounding aspect of it. I think it just needed a tighter resolution. Uh, other than that, they need a mechanism to get vision reassembled. I like sword is pointless. Like I think, I think that Monica and Jimmy and Darcy work having this adversary on the outside that we're thought is going to be a big problem, but is not it turns out that they're only really there so they can say, oh, Hayward reassembled the vision. <gasps> Shock. And uh, I don't know. Is that <laughs> enough? Is that enough of a reason? Uh, in, maybe? In some ways, it seems as though it would have been better served. And it, it kind of as we thought all, uh, you know, while, while we were watching it and talking about it over on Biff, that he kind of feels like a middle management guy, right? Like where he's like, yeah. He might have a good rationale for doing some of the things he's doing, but he's just a little bit too much of a stickler, too much of by the book. But as the episodes go on, he becomes more cartoonishly villain, leading to him, you know, shooting kids, even if they're not real, yeah. quote unquote. Yeah. Like that, uh, there's a bit of a deep end issue there where it seems like it would have been more interesting to him just being like, look, you know, the vision's an incredibly powerful weapon. We cannot allow him to continue to exist. And that just being his sort of like, he's yeah. the, you know, the high school principal from the 80s. Right. Like, yeah. you know, comedy. He needed a connection with Agnes or some other connection to the big bag and in, bad inside the hex. 
He does have a thematic connection, which is that, in again, in a show about identity, Hayward and Agnes both work to make our protagonists doubt themselves. They try to question our protagonists' identities, try to, to gaslight them, try to knock them off their game. I mean, Hayward, like, I, I love that Jimmy calls it out, that Hayward is undermining Monica in front of her co-workers, um, because he's like, he knows full well that Monica is sharp and capable, and I think there's a simmering jealousy to him about that that they they play throughout the series. But but yeah, he he tries to make her sound crazy or emotional. Um, so yeah, he, he, go, I, he tries to goad Wanda into bringing Vision back. Too. My That's my take other. on Hayward yeah. is that he would have he would have worked better. I, I would prefer the banality of evil of bureaucracy. Yes, exactly. I would have preferred that he just be like, look, I got a job to do and we put vision back together and we want to, this to work instead of it being, he gets, he chews too much scenery. He's like, ha ha, my soldiers now will attack and you will be arrested. Jimmy Woo and Darcy Lewis and sent away. And like, it's so over <laughs> the top not evil enough to be Robert Redford from the winter soldier. Right. Like, He's I, not, yeah. He doesn't have that rationale. I, I'd but rather like, he just be yeah. a mid-level bureaucrat who's doing yes, his job and disappoint. And in the end, we're all like, we're really disappointed in you, Hayward. You're you did a bad thing. Instead, you know, he's like a scenery chewing uh, rogue operative or something. And it's like I don't know it. But the big yeah. the big fatal flaw is that after all of this buildup, he and his guys drive into the center of town and are immediately rendered entirely impotent, and that's the end. And it's like, By okay, children, by which children, I found was satisfying. That is funny. <laughs> it was funny, but it's like, that's it? Why was military? he here? Why was he here at all? I don't know. That part bothered me. That was the part that bothered me. It's kind of a damp squid. It really is at the <laughs> yeah. end of that. And it doesn't matter emotionally, but like, you set no. this all up and nothing... <laughs> No, no. I mean, the heart of the show is the heart of the show. Um, the 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 finale episode works because of the grief that uh, Wanda finally processes, the farewells that they have to the kids, and then that she has with him. You know, that's what makes this the the finale work. But it works despite everything that happened with Hayward and the 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 standard MCU characters. Right. The quiet apocalypse of that finale is is just so beautiful in its understatedness. After the big CGI punchy punch, they just yeah. have, you know, 10 minutes of a quiet end of the world. Hayward was interesting for a minute where uh, we found out that he had completely uh, misrepresented Wanda with the cleverly edited videotape and with the context, like it made a lot more sense. Sure. And it was much more the Wanda that we had gotten to know instead of uh, like this, you know, other person, which was, you know, him turning everybody against Wanda so that, you know, everybody would be mad at her and fight her. And, you know, I liked Jimmy's attempts to be like, yeah, she did that bad thing, but then she did this other good stuff afterward. And so like in that moment, he, you know, when we find out how he had manipulated everybody to try to get them on his side is oh well you know maybe he is diabolical but it sounds like he kind of accidentally hit on something that was gonna be helpful and then like the rest of his plan just sort of fell apart so i was disappointed because at first he seemed like he might be he might be a more fun bad guy right than he actually turned out to be like he had some promise and i think that's why i had such a problem with him at the end is that for a minute, he was pretty interesting, and then I was just disappointed. We're not mad. We're just disappointed. I love the fact that 
it allows them to do the thing where they're having very weird uh, TV story time in the bubble. Yes. And outside, it's an MCU movie. And actually, I think it's beautifully put together um, by Matt Shackman, who's the director of this series. The way it's shot, like, it's shot kind of uber MCU. Like, the goal is outside the bubble. It feels exactly like a Marvel movie. Because... Mm-hmm. The the point is not to vary that part. The point is to make that part feel super comforting because they're varying the other part. And I think it's incredibly well done. And so, you know, having the contrast is great. I think the challenge there is that some of the contrast matters and some of the contrast is sort of like window dressing and not really that important because it really is about what's going in on on the inside to, to a, great, a greater extent than maybe you think. But again, it's a minor point because in the end, the stuff that's happening on the inside, the core story here about Wanda and Vision is the part that makes this show so successful. And I think that they did a, a really great job of it. And like, I know it wasn't their intent, but um, every week I would watch this thing and think they they really did it. Like this was like, could they do a TV show out of the Marvel machine? And will it feel cheap? Will it feel lesser? Will it feel like uh uh, you know, a footnote, is it, you know, can they pull this off or is it going to end up being something that feels essentially like all the other Marvel TV shows did, which is, well, no, we've got a TV budget and we've got different actors yeah. and we're going to, you know. It's just a TV it's show. It's just some product that we're extruding from the corporate monolith. And like, and, and they <laughs> didn't, like, it, it feels like a Marvel movie plus having the latitude to do episodes and tell a TV story. And like, as we wrap this up here, like for me, I, I feel like they did it and I was not at all convinced that they were going to be able to pull it off. And, and this one is the higher degree of difficulty of being weird in a way that probably Falcon the Winter Soldier is not going to be. And so I, I can't tell you how happy I am with how WandaVision turned out. It's, really good about real stuff with all also having weird you know weird comic book stuff in it because it's marvel but also as a piece of entertainment it kept me entertained it made me feel stuff like what more do you want from a from yeah. a tv show i mean it, it, bringing it back to where you began this you know because this was the first show instead of the second it's the trailblazer. It sets the standard, and Winter, Falcon and Winter Soldier does doesn't. I I'm confident that Falcon and Winter Soldier will be great. Looking really forward to it. Sure. But I'm so glad that this was the one out of the gate because it's going to be the challenge for every show after that. Do something different. Do something weird. Do something new. Mm-hmm. And this wouldn't have worked as a movie. It had to be an episodic television show because. I mean, for so many reasons, the building sense of mystery, the different, the, the sudden shifts in style and tone, you you couldn't have done this in a movie and had it been as satisfying an experience. I mean, that said, I am still mad at the show because every time an episode ended, I was like, wait, what? That's the end? No, I want to see what happens next. I have to wait a week? Yeah. I do want to give them uh, kudos to mention a production detail, the, um, well, a few production details. One, uh, I we finally get a real Scarlet Witch costume at the end and I wanted to yeah. say I thought they did a really great job with both channeling the comic book having it fit within the tone of the MCU 
and also <laughs> dealing with the fact that Wanda's comic book costume is terrible. Um, and you know, you get a oh, you get a tip of the hat to that the with Halloween. The, the Halloween episode, oh, man. which is so fantastic. good. Fantastic, it's a fortune teller. Um, Totally. Yes, and I and, and I Mexican and uh, Mexican wrestler. Oh my god! Oh, so yeah. good. And because those are terrible costumes that would never work in the MCU, <laughs> and yet they do a nice job of integrating. And and I, it blew me away when I realized that Wanda's costume had been in plain sight every week. Because in the splash screen on Disney Plus, there's all these TV sets making up an amalgamated image. And part of the thing that shows, like, you know, on the top, it's like Wanda's head from the first episode where it's in the 50s, you know, black and white style. And then in the TV, it's like a, a superhero outfit. And I'm like, that doesn't look like any of the outfits that I've seen her wear. Oh, well, I stopped thinking about it. And then the last episode was like, oh, uh-huh. that's what they were hinting at. But it does. Yeah. It, it, it works. It looks it looks really good. And um, I also wanted to mention, of course, which we kind of talked to you about before the show, the music, um, which has both uh, Christoph Beck's. Uh, score which is really good and and manages to bounce around from all of these different totally different eras of tv uh as well as the uh the theme songs which were written by the uh the couple behind the frozen uh, music and are just perfect that that one um the uh 80s theme song is basically a perfect amalgam of of like it's like growing pains it's basically a riff on the growing pains uh, uh, theme song and it's just amazing. There's a YouTube video out there that talks about how they work the same four the same note theme, pattern yeah. into yes. all the different songs yeah, the in, in different ways. Yeah, yeah, the Growing Pains one they use like the the chords that you would hear in '80s theme songs in a perfect way. Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, of course, Agatha All Along, the greatest song of the year <laughs> thus far. Just 100%. Like, I used it as the outro on Maximoff Overdrive, and then there was never any better outro music. So for, like, the last three episodes, that's been what you hear at the end because there isn't anything better. And it's fantastic. Like, the production the, the production detail on this was, was really amazing. The one thing uh, I didn't put together until... Uh, like well after I had watched the episode and came back to it later was um, we keep hearing Agatha talk about Ralph and Mm -hmm. that was his name. And then like all of a sudden it hit me like a day or two after watching the episode, like, Oh, wait a minute. Um, So like there was a lot of stuff that was sort of low key kind of put in there that, that was, was also really interesting. (laughs) Sorry. Evan Peters as Ralph Boner Boner. then laughs at his own name. Is and also every bit with Evan Peters in that last episode where he's got the guitar and he's yes. playing the dramatic chords, uh, and yeah. he gets beat up by Monica and he's like, "Please don't kill me." Everything with that uh, is every gold. every moment with him was so much fun and like he was one hundred percent stunt casting to send the internet over the edge, which is what sitcoms just, do. And I wasn't even upset about like we find out later like oh yeah that was just like you know Agatha's you know agatha's drone so that she had eyes and ears in the house and you know what cool i was totally fine for with those it. Who, yeah. for those who don't know the the quicksilver the pietro in wandavision who is recast from the one who died in age of ultron is the one who played the same character in the x-men movies when they had the same character shared across the two different universes with two different actors so having him come in was very much a you know the two different darrens in bewitched kind of thing and uh, <laughs> and then in the end, the revelation that he's just a regular guy from this town in New Jersey named Boner. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. additionally, but like so additional, like they could have stunt cast that. They, they could have recast him 
as anybody. And they recast him specifically. No, just to make everybody to make everybody go, what is happening? Are they merging that? And the answer is what? no, it's actually a joke, but you because don't know that Disney, yet. <laughs> but Disney owns Fox. And so maybe that's a thing now. And, and like, yes, yeah. like almost as entertaining as getting to watch the show unfold was watching the internet yeah. go round the bend like every week. I, that was also Which is why, forgive fun. me for beating this drum that is well beaten, but that's why a weekly release schedule for a TV show is so great because it it's gives so us better. a week to, to chew on everything that happens. It lets them play with us. It lets yeah. them laugh at us and our silly yes. ideas about what and, where the and show Kelly is going. And Kelly and I aren't oh. just saying that because we need to be able to put out a podcast every week and if you drop them all at once, it's just too hard. No, we it yeah, allows the really con- not why. like allows the conversation uh to to go from episode to episode uh, and everybody to talk about like would Agatha all along have been a thing? If it wasn't the end of an episode and then we had a week to to chew on the revelation, of course it wouldn't. That was the beauty of the weekly release (laughs) is that we spent a whole week going, what does this mean? There's a monster song and it turns out that she's she's got her own magic and it's Catherine Hahn is a is is Agatha Harkness. And which which the Internet also wouldn't have spent a week humming it either. Exactly. There is that. I mean, beauty of like. That's as much as people, as much as everybody's like, oh, you know, give it to me all at once, blah, blah, blah. Like the first episode of this aired in the second half of January and the last one aired in like the first or second week of March. So like the bonus of this, like one of the great things about the weekly release, if you're Disney, is that it started in January and we're still talking right. about it in the middle of March. What I always say about the uh, the weekly drop is... I think the great thing about television is you can have the episode where this happens and the episode where that happens and the episode where that happens and all blurs together if you watch it in a binge. And WandaVision is perfect, right? Because it's the episode that is the Dick Van Dyke show and the episode that's Bewitched and the episode that's the Brady Bunch and the episode that's Family. Like, it's so episodic. It is literally Marvel saying, no, this is a weekly episodic TV show. That's what it is. Yeah. And, and, and don't beautiful. get me wrong. I love being, uh, you know, when those Daredevil and, and Jessica Jones and stuff came out, like I binge those, but like the, you always end up watching like five or six episodes and the next day you feel hung over, right? Yeah. Like you're yeah. like, oh what God, what, what did I, I do last night? Yeah. Well, the beauty is if you yeah. like binging shows, just wait till it's all there and then you can binge it anyway. Yeah. But the rest of us again. get the week by week in the meantime when it first comes out. And and uh, and as Kelly said, like they crashed Disney Plus because people wanted to see the WandaVision finale it's and people are like worried about spoilers on twitter the day that the episode drops and it's just such a it's that's uh that's the way to do it that's the right way to do it you should you should drop your episode at a time when those of us who are in america can watch it instead of having it drop at 3 a.m eastern (laughs) uh, midnight pacific because that is bad for us but it's great for the rest of the world i guess all right well that is it uh wandavision that's okay uh disney wants your money and so there will be another show uh pretty soon it'll be falcon and the winter soldier and uh, then we'll be back to talk about that presumably after it's done Uh, but for now let me thank my panelists for talking about WandaVision it was a lot of fun to watch the show and to talk about it Chip Sutter thank you thanks Jason this was a very special episode oh I bet it was (laughs) Uh, Kelly Gamont thank you what is a podcast but nerds persevering (laughs) Nathan Alderman thank you I think we can all agree that Sparky had it coming (laughs) and Dan Morin have, have you heard of the ship of Theseus Neither is the true vision, Jason. Both of the true vision. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will see you next time.